Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. I have another live show coming up in Los Angeles on Friday, May 26th at NerdMelt. Special guests will be announced shortly, but you can get your tickets at NerdMeltLA.com. For updates on who will be joining me on the show, please follow Forever Dog on Twitter at Forever Dog Team. And you're listening to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show on the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Today's show is brought to you by Casper.com. Yay! Receive $50 towards any mattress purchase. Mattress purchase, yay! At www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. We're also sponsored by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Five pairs, five days, 100% free! If you're a fan of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate and review us. Be mean. Be cruel. Guess we started. Uh, I'm uh, Kevin McDonald. Hello. And uh, we, we, that makes me sound like the queen, a royal we. I am sitting here with uh, Craig Finn. Craig, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, So far, we've talked about water. And uh, I'm sort of concerned that was the best part of the conversation. <laughs> well, I think we can top it. <laughs> top it. Uh, the New York water. Uh, see, now it's clear. We got uh, glasses of water, and uh, it was sort of uh, pretty fuzzy. But I, when I lived here in 1987, it was sort of a green fuzzy and stayed that way forever. <laughs> yeah, I've only been here since 2000, but uh, it's been pretty good since I've been here. Yes. Now, I remember uh, there was a big newspaper thing in Toronto when I was living there in 96. We go, all tap water, good now. And uh, I hope that was true. Does that mean all everywhere? Are all in North America? I think they meant all in North America. Okay, okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Mexico. No offense to Mexico. I'm so sorry, Mexico. I, I was, it's because I got the don't drink the water thing in my head, but that's probably not true. All right? I start out by, apolog- uh, by insulting a country. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very excited to talk to you, Craig. I'm, uh, I'm a fan. Awesome. And I'm not even lying. Good. Good. Let's let's not lie to each other. <laughs> I won't lie to you. If if I was lying, I wouldn't have said the I'm not lying part. I would, if I, I would even said I'm a fan. I would say something else. But uh, but I am a fan. Good. Good. Uh, let's start out of order. I have some questions on the airplane. Oh, that's a crazy question to start with. Should I start with a yeah. question that makes no sense? Let's go crazy. Because uh, you'll probably just say no. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to a lot of your albums. I had two albums even for, like in the 2000s. Uh, mm-hmm. I love your new album. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a second too. Out of order. Are you a fan of Peter Case? Um, I don't. I I, I like. 
You know, I'm not super familiar with Peter Case. He was in the Plimsolls, right? Yes. Uh, and he, I his know, solo work, you remind, your work reminds me of his solo work. Okay, good. To, I, it'll, it's something good for me to dive into because I know, you know, A Million Miles Away. Um, yes, like the uh, birds. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a great song. Uh, from Especially um, from the Valley Girl soundtrack. Yes. Uh, but I, I, and I love that song and I always have, but I, I don't know his music that much. And um, oh. so that's something I, and, he, and he's been at it a while, which I love, Persistence. Yes. Um, and, and I like... At this, at my age, like I love discovering a, a guy, who, someone now that has a deep catalog. That's yeah, one of my favorite things. So then you can go into it. So that's, that's a good one. That was a great thing about the early '90s and CDs. Uh, I've I've only heard Stevie Wonder's singles. Let's get every Stevie Wonder album. Yeah, yeah. And now I guess you can do that streaming, but I don't really know how to. I don't stream successfully. I don't know how to do it. But it's the, overwhelming. But I sort of feel like the same thing in a used record store. Like I'll find a Van Morrison record that I haven't heard, and I'll be like. It's four dollars. I'll take it home and see if there's some <laughs> hidden gem of a song back there. And it's it's that uh, there's fun in that. When Merle Haggard died, I, I bought his first seven albums, and I'm <laughs> kind of enjoying them. Nice. That's that's a, see that's a fair amount of music. That's that's <laughs> enough to form an opinion. Because they sell double albums and uh, and Oki from Muskogee, even though it's not my politics. Well, Bob Dylan said uh, Oki from Muskogee. He said it's written so sharply. He thinks Merle Haggard was uh, parodying. Uh, right wingers. I think it was, wasn't he? Or at least he was trying. He became to, more left wing lately. Early was he? Maybe trying to just show the other side. I always assumed he was kind of trying to write from a bit of a character. That one, but I, I think don't so know. too. It's sort of moving to me. I apologize. Oh, <laughs> well, no, it's all right. <laughs> I'm a left-wing liberal from Canada. We're going to talk about you, I swear to God. <laughs> uh, but first, I, I want to remember the name of the Peter Case album that you've got to listen to because it reminds me of your work. It's something, no something, something waiting. Waiting, no wheels, something. Uh, I'll find out. That's enough for me to figure that's, that's out. Waiting, me. right? Yeah, waiting I think waiting's is, yeah. in it. Okay. Or a word that ends with ing. Okay. <laughs> well, there, there can't be more too many of those. <laughs> I enjoy your new album very much. Thank you. I think it might be my favorite albums of the, of, of the four that I have of yours. Wow. Um, well, I appreciate it. It's certainly one that I'm proud of and I'm excited. And people seem to like it. It's been out a few weeks now and people seem to really be reacting to it. So um, it's, it's it's interesting to me that one thing that comes up, a lot of people are saying it's this sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's much different. And to me, it doesn't sound that much different than the two that preceded it. But... Um, uh, no matter, it doesn't matter because if people like it, they like it. That's great. But uh, to maybe me, I say I'm there's like, more of a sense of urgency to it. Maybe, maybe I would say it's more musical in in the sense that um, and 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 by I wanted it to be kind of richer and fuller and um, maybe there's more people in the room. Like actually, in the recording process, there's more musicians it's like around. That too, yeah. You know, so there's something less sparse about it, and there's more. And even like you know, if you have like this is kind of inside baseball but like if you have like you know a multi-instrumentalist so in my case josh kaufman the producer plays a lot of instruments and so if he plays guitar and then he plays bass and then he plays piano you're kind of getting the same thing doing same person doing different instruments so just the actual act of putting different musicians in the room all, all right. playing together you get something that's more musical and it gets more human and do you um well, I'll switch questions. I'll go over the flow. I'm trying to listen uh, as an interview. Yeah. Uh, do, um, does the concept of the album, maybe not thematically, but sound-wise, I'm trying not to sound pretentious. Uh, mm. I, I, I said something 10 seconds ago that I'll regret later. Uh, <laughs> sense of urgency. I can't believe I said that. But uh, does the uh, sound in your head change? I guess, of course, it does when you get to the studio. Uh, yeah. I mean, I that? I have, like, I don't think I have as... as uh, 
fixed ideas in my head as it's some songwriters and some musicians do. I think that um, I'm kind of, I, I believe that I, I kind of write like, especially in lately, the way I've approached these records is to write a skeleton and get it to kind of as good as I can get it in a sparse way, where I'm happy with the story. I'm happy with the words. I'm happy with the melody and then get really good people, people that I enjoy both their playing and being around and getting in the room and, and saying, kind of like play what you feel with a little direction, but sort of like, you know, play what you feel, play what you're hearing and seeing what comes out of it. And uh, usually be very happy with that. The result of that. How do you write an album? Do you, are you always writing and then you go to sign and put these songs together? Do you take some time off from writing? Uh, and uh, do you wait for the idea? Uh, or, or do you sit down and force yourself to think of the idea? I do you for- think of an idea for the album first or do you think of the idea of the song first? That's my I think I, I guess I think of the idea for the song first. And I, I go into sort of these writing periods where I'll say like, I'm going to write a song every day this month. And, and oftentimes they're terrible songs and you just sort of write them and throw them away. Or you, you know, it's, I'll say like a lot of times it's 10 a.m. to noon. Like I'm going to write a song and I don't think it's going to be, you know, amazing. But what, so if I write 10 of those over 10 days, I might find, look back a week later and find three of them that are like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then I start working on those and I start editing them and I start changing them. Um, so I, I find that if you have something, you can move things around and edit and change them or if you have a blank page you're stuck with a blank page so I, I really do believe in pushing through and kind of saying well I don't know I don't know what I should write about today but I guess <laughs> I'll write about my cat or right. what I had for breakfast and the idea later is that you can change it you know maybe that song about your cat isn't that good but like then you say like well what if this was actually about my best friend from seventh grade and you change the name and you change a few lines and suddenly it's like something that's a lot more meaningful when I listen to Bob Dylan's Slow Train Coming, I think it's a beautiful album. But all songs are about God. I pretend it's about his ex-wife, and I think it's the best album ever. Yeah, I think it's probably there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of that out there. You know, I mean, um, I, I I've certainly done that in reverse, where I've I've <laughs> take, you know sort of said, well, like I hear a gospel song, and like that's nice, but I don't know if I can go all the way there. And maybe it's about my cat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or or my friend, or whatever. I'm waiting for your cat album. To uh, yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> That's what you start with, and then you try to move away from it. So you don't, because um, you get the idea from listening to your albums that there's sort of a conceptual theme. You don't start thinking, I'm going to write a bunch of songs about this theme. You, you let the songs carry you to the album? Yeah, actually, you know, there's some part of making a record that you're planning, you know, and then sort of a, some of it reveals your, itself to you. And so, like, when I... You know, I probably had like 40 songs when I went to Josh, uh, the producer, when we started this record. And we, you know, I, I, I immediately threw 20 away and then he threw 10 away. And, <laughs> you know, um, um, but, or, you know, not throw away, but say like, I don't want to, I don't want to work on those right now. Right. And so when right. you have left, you sort of see like, wow, in this record, um, I, I wasn't planning you, you sort of find out what you're thinking i mean i think joan didion said has a quote like that something we write we write right. to find out what we're thinking that, that does uh, ring a bell um and i feel like there was a lot of um and i don't know in particular why this was connected to my real life but there was a lot of songs on this record that are kind of about um well partners and two right. people like trying to get through and, and almost this like sense of codependency in a, in a number of the songs um uh, people kind of in this like less than Disney version of love, you know, like uh, 
I, I call you know strategic alliances and uh, um, uneasy truces, but um, not head over heels in love. But you know, sort of this real kind of realistic modern way. And, and I think it's you know, I mean, it's 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 like you live in New York. People, you know, go on three dates and move in together just right. because rents are high. <laughs> so, so it's like right. you know, you see, sort of see what like sort of a, a realistic way of I don't know looking at things. And I, and 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 I, that wasn't something I was setting out to write about, but that's kind of what ended up. Right. That's kind of exciting that you sort of know that there's sort of a theme in your life, like the classic. Uh, Adele kind of thing. You write your classic breakup album because that's that's in your head. But sometimes I find people's breakup albums, as much as they're made fun of, um, are their best work sometimes. Yeah, because they they mean it so much. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, you're raw and you're you know. I, I think like if you write towards what hap- what's happening in your life, it's yeah. probably a good idea. I mean, you can't like you know if you, if you're like you know you lost your job, it's probably. My my thinking is that your your songs about that will probably be better than your songs about you know dragons. Right. <laughs> and if you're really good, you can do something in between. I think uh, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen albums is Tunnel of Love, where he was having doubts about his marriage, mm-hmm. and that's not such. A, I'm gonna have a doubts on my marriage album. That's not the. <laughs> but he felt it very strongly, and I think it's probably, if not the only doubts about my marriage album, uh, it's the strongest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the strongest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to. You, you're always looking for for these these things, whether you're trying or not, end up in your songs. Right, right. You know. uh, some of your songs, along this album, but a lot in your career, seem like um, they could be like either modern day indie movies or movies from the seventies. Um, did you ever think of writing? Uh, first of all, do you think of it that way when when you write? Do you think of it uh, visually at all? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I I've always been trying to make something cinematic, and I've always been trying to like tell these stories that are like big. And because you know, I, and I think that that's a thing. And I've said this before in interviews. Like, it seems like to me, songwriters get held to a different standard uh, of like you know, people expect things to be confessional, right. and and you know, um, you know, no one expects Quentin Tarantino to shoot people and do karate you know (laughs) and it's it's like uh but a songwriter you know it's like i don't know if he really and i've even said that and seen that in reviews of my mind stuff and the hold steady stuff especially i'm not sure they did that you know and it's like (laughs) i'm not sure that that's the point you know um um i think you want to create honesty i mean you, you cannot do everything that's in your song um, but you can still be honest in, in your approach yeah. to it, emotionally honest. The feelings and, can be true. And, um, but I think, you know, with the Hold Steady especially, there's such big music that I wanted to create something that was big, and, and it doesn't, it you know, it, it can't always be mundane topics um, when when the guitars are wailing <laughs> and all that. You know, so in the Hold Steady kind of, I feel like big things happened in the songs, you right. know. Um, desperate, music drove you to that. Yeah, desperate characters doing big thing, making big big bad decisions you know um where with the solo stuff i feel like it can be a little more mundane and a little more um detailed in that sense and that's kind of where i've gone with it and i think especially on this new record yeah for sure you sort of break i'm a very simple man and i see things very simply and i always think of artists they're either john lennon or paul mccartney they're either (laughs) confessional like john lennon or their imagination like paul mccartney 
but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle where, where you're sort of having imagination, but it's sort of, I don't know if it's through your experience. I, I don't know what your life is like, but there's some confession of feeling going on. Yeah, Are I you mean, in between McCartney and Lennon? I think so. I mean, I think that, I think that it's, there's something like if you can kind of tell a story that may not be, that may be a fictitious story, but, but hit on, universal truths that's the power to to me that's where real power lies yeah so i think in some way you want to you know and and these stories you know i mean uh <laughs> i think was it gregory dunn uh john, john didion's husband actually i think right. said that the first character in every novel is the novelist um and i think that's there's truth there i mean these yeah. stories don't come out of absolutely nowhere you know i mean yeah. uh you know um it's like in the new record, there's God in Chicago. Well, that's a story about, you know, people going from St. Paul to Chicago. Well, I, I made that drive a million times. That's when I thought could be a movie for sure. Yeah. that And, um, you know, that, that was what I was trying to create in those four or five minutes, whatever is the, right. this, this very linear story that you could follow. Do you know the people in your songs ever, or are they made up? Well, both. Um, they're, they're composites. They're, um, but there's certainly, you know, there's a little bit of few people in probably all the songs. And uh, I certainly know uh, and knew a lot of people that are like, you know, like the, the, those types of characters in, in the songs. But, you know, there's very rarely, if ever, just a one a one to one relate one to one relationship like that's that right. person. I've actually had people come up and say like I think I'm that person in that song. And I'm, like, I'm sorry to disappoint you. And it's like no, I, I really think that's me. <laughs> no, don't sue me. Uh, so your songs, uh, as I said earlier, uh, are like movies. You know the Al Pacino movie Panic in Needle Park. I think yeah, that yeah. could have been a song of yours. Yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. Um, those are, I mean, those '70s movies um, were are like ones, your songs. Well, those are ones I loved growing up. You know, I mean, um, that that kind of era of cinema and uh, and and in being gritty. But you know, like that that movie has tenderness too. You know, and, absolutely. And there's love, and there's love in uh, and and love and tenderness in. Uh, you know, less than ideal circumstances. Yeah, and yeah it was dark times. Love yeah. and dark times. <laughs> yeah. So, what was it? Was the? It was also. Wasn't that? Didn't that all take place on the Upper West Side? Which seems like like. Yeah, like, where was the park? You know, I, yeah, I, I haven't seen it, was, it for years. I think but it was up there, and I. It, it, it just. I just. It's hard to watch now and not be like, well, real estate has changed. You know, <laughs> New York. It always comes back to real estate, in New York, yeah. and you're like, wow, that neighborhood's not like that anymore. It's gentrified. Yeah. yeah. Well, because uh, this is the question I'm leading to. I'm very exciting, uh, excited about my boring questions, but uh, I'm excited about this one. Have you ever thought of writing novels or scripts? Or? Yeah, um, and I've even tried. Um, I've I've written some stuff with with friends, um, and but it hasn't really uh, gone. Uh, I worked with a friend, um, my friend Tom Ruprecht, on a uh, a film adaptation of the the. Chuck Klosterman book um, uh, Fargo Rock City, and uh, but we were kind of unable to drum up much enthusiasm about it. Um, it, it was funny, but I think it had, had had some flaws. And then I've tried to write novels um, or start novels, but those are very hard. There's there's solitary pursuits, you know, and uh, even even as a solo artist, as a musician, you know, you get a producer of musicians around you are kind of like. No, that's great. That's great. And Mike, you're like, oh, it is. Um, where a novel, you know, you get ten thousand words in and say, should I be telling this in the third person? And maybe, oh, yeah. you know, you, you hit delete and throw it out. So right. it's something. I mean, I read a lot of novels. Um, I kind of consider novelists to be like, I put them all on a pedestal. Uh, I don't want to leave this earth without one. But that said, I haven't started it. 
Maybe start with the book of short stories. Yeah. That's what an album is. Yeah, that's kind of what an album is. That's what I think I, I should be doing. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I think of a story and it turns into a song. So right, right. I don't have any stories <laughs> left over, you know. You must be worried writing and then a melody comes to your head. Yeah, yeah. Or like, I just, I also think like a song is kind of awesome because, you know, like when you think of a short story like a Carver, Cheever, Chekhov, whatever. Yeah. It's sometimes a lot about what they don't tell you and and, and this tension that's created. Absolutely. And a song kind of is like that too, you know? Like, um, Absolutely. Um, like I love the idea that, you know, sometimes the, the way when I'm writing a song that I find that it may, seems better to me is when I suddenly take out a verse. Right. You know, and you're like, oh, well, then that verse over explains something. <laughs> And someone's famous yeah. for that. that, and that's what also what Kurt Vonnegut said. Um, uh, it's a lot of what isn't in there that yeah of makes what's in there sort of works. Right, right. And there's, you know, there's there's different things that you're looking for, and it's almost like a a symmetry or a crossword puzzle, like you know, like the crossword puzzle where you get like the long one on the bottom and it all comes together. Sometimes you have that line, you know. <laughs> but it's sometimes finding something that, like you know, finding something that you think is a little humorous. Like that to me is like if I can find something that kind of makes me smile in a song, especially if it's a sad song, I'll yes. be like, yes, you know, like that's what I want. I was listening to your album again this morning, and I was thinking that uh, I hope people appreciate this about you. There's wit in your sad stories, and they're not sad. Like they're more not sad isn't true. There's sadness in them, but there's wit in them. Woody Allen, when he made his first serious movie, Interiors. Uh, I like it now, actually. But at first, I thought it was a failure because <laughs> he took all the humor out. Yeah, he like he uh, he, he he wanted to make it real, but it wasn't real because there is humor in sad stories. And yeah. I think later he discovered he got better at his. Um, uh, so my question to you, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> <laughs> but oh, is there uh, humor is in your songs, right? I think there's humor. Yeah, I mean, I always think that like. And I don't do this anymore, but I used to really find that my the stuff I liked that I wrote, I wrote best when I was really hungover. Um, and I've kind of gotten away from that because I don't think it's a very good, it's kind of a destructive <laughs> way to live your life. But um, there's a certain bleak, dark humor that comes from a hangover that is like, it's kind of a hopelessness, but you're kind of laughing at yourself because you've done it to yourself, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I find that voice kind of entertaining. Um, but I do believe... And I don't think this is a controversial opinion that the best rock and roll has funny moments. I mean, from Dylan to Springsteen to Mick Jagger to Chuck yeah. Berry, yeah. Nick Cave, um, uh, everyone, I think, pretty even Paul Westerberg, I think all the stuff I really love um, has has some really funny parts, you know? And Chuck Berry's lyrics are underrated. I, I, the, like Brown-Eyed Handsome Man? That those lyrics are amazing. They're, but even the wedding is like more popular songs. Yeah, I just did an interview actually where someone asked me if I liked Chuck Berry and, and and asked or you know what what I thought and said that you know one thing is and and I agreed that that he was always very specific. You know, he wasn't all, all like he'd tell you about Maybelline, <laughs> not not just some girl he knows. You know, yeah. not a girl in a red dress, but like um, Johnny Be Good. And then he put them through these adventures, kind of. You know, yeah. um, so there's very um, fully realized stories in there. You know, um, and a lot of specific. This word is specificity. I, I was too. Yeah, I was uh, specificness. Um, <laughs> uh, 
of, you know, um, he used to carry his guitar in a gunny sack, sit beneath the trails of the railroad tracks. He's really putting a picture. Those are great images. Uh, that know? would be great prose. Um, yeah, and um, you're thinking, wow, he carries his guitar in a gunny sack? Yeah. Like, he doesn't have a hard shell case for it, and, and he's and he's like the best guitar player ever? That's kind yeah. of amazing, you know? You're making me appreciate his lyrics even more, because I know he's known for sort of starting sort of rock and roll guitar in a way, but uh, but I, I think his lyrics go under. Something that I read when he died that was really interesting to me was about... Um, Sorry, how he kind of created the idea of a teenager, and uh, I don't know if that's correct or not, but I get it. I get what they're saying, you know. Like, like when I was a kid and I'd hear Chuck Berry, I think like that's kind of what about a teenager uh, is being like. Also, that in um, "Fun, Fun, Fun" by the Beach Boys. I was about to say the Beach. I swear, I was about to say the Beach Boys made me think of what it's like to be like a teenager driving a car. Yeah, you know, fun, fun, fun till her daddy took the T-bird away. That seems like something that would happen when you're like, that's what I thought like teenagers did. And I'm a Brian Wilson fanatic. I'm not supposed to like Mike Love, but I think fun, fun is great lyrics. Yeah, really, really good lyrics. (laughs) Uh, uh, We got her about the library like she told her old man. That's funny. That's good. I think those are maybe his best lyrics. But uh, and I I know I'm not supposed to like Mike Love. I'm sorry if you're listening, Mike Love. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's some of these some of this rock and roll like you're supposed to do it or you're supposed to not. I mean, we're not supposed to like yeah. we're supposed to be mad at Robbie Robertson and stuff, but it's like <laughs> I can't be mad at Robbie. Yeah, but it's like you know, like I wasn't there. You know, like I you know these things get uh, we're taking a lot of a lot of like right. people for granted. I refuse word. to be mad at Robbie, but I won't be <laughs> mad at Rick for being mad at Robbie. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I mean, I just think it's like it's not my battle. You right, know, exactly. like. Exactly. I'm fascinated by the songwriting process. Uh, do you find what comes first? Do uh, it probably comes all different places. Do lyrics come first? Do the chords and the melody come first? And do the melody sort of write the lyrics, or is it all different? It can happen different. With the hold steady, it very much happens where uh, you know I'm I'm mainly contributing words and in, in you know vocal melody. So like they show you know Tad uh, the guitar player usually starts the song and has some riffs that he's got put together and then we'll play and I'll be yelling into a microphone and like somehow that a form of oh, a song really? will come out. But with the solo stuff, it's me, you know, sitting at home with a guitar and, you know, sitting down to write a song and kind of very, very often uh, it's getting the first line. I'll say like, you know, like that's the first line of the song and um, that's where it goes. And let's see where it goes. Oh, wow. um, and even I think like God in Chicago, um, no, that's actually not true. Cotton Chicago, I think I had a um, St. Paul to Cicero and a Chevrolet with a with a broken with a boombox. Wait, went from St. Paul to Cicero and a Chevrolet that didn't have any radio. That's what I said. Yeah, that's what I had. And uh, that's but that's and that was like, well, what, what kind of what kind of why are they on this road trip? But um, uh, I think like the first song on the album. Jester in June, I, I guarantee I started on the first line, which is the bartender sold us something I think was probably coriander. And I was like, oh, what happened there? Like, you know. Right. Um, so I think a lot of times it is the first lyric and following it down the trail. Wow. Never with a chorus first. I'm just not a big chorus guy. So I never, I think like a lot of songwriters are like, I got a chorus, now I need verses. How can you write the chorus first? But, but though if you don't write the chorus first and you're a guy who needs, uh, you're a big chorus writer, you must be kind of nervous. Okay, this verse is going, okay, I would think of a catchy chorus now. The, the, yeah. <laughs> what pressure. Right. Like, I, well, I think like the, the verses don't even start with those guys until they're like, finally, we've got the chorus. But that seems like 
research and development to me. You know what I mean? That seems like, is that how emotional can that be? But I, there would be a lot of people that disagree, but the way I, I'm kind of like, I I just kind of keep writing the verses and one of them ends, the second one I write, the third one I write ends up being the chorus. And sometimes you you don't write the uh, chorus, right? Yeah, sometimes sometimes I don't have it. Sometimes you Bob Dylan it, uh, which I, which I love. Yeah. And Keith Richards, what did uh, a lot of the Rolling Stones songs, he said this is in his book, he would think of the riff in one line, like I can't get no satisfaction. In the riff. Give it to Ke- uh, give it to Mick, yeah, and then Mick would write the lyrics. The, yeah, that's kind of neat. I think that's that's I could totally see working like that. That's cool. I mean, that there's this sort of thing with the blank page where you're like, oh, I could do anything. It's sort of overwhelming. But if they say I can't get no satisfaction, be like, oh, okay, I can I can <laughs> work with that. Imagine being Mick and getting that. Here's the riff. Uh, yeah. Here's uh, the the line. You write all the other words. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, that's you know, great. Yeah. I did. Uh, did you see that movie with um, Metallica where they went to therapy? Do you saw that? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that movie. I, I remember the scene of them all where they all said they all wanted to write lyrics, and yeah. and everyone else was just cranking out pages of lyrics, yeah. and, and Hetfield was just like, "What." You know, like, I write the lyrics. Uh, you know, like he had nothing, and it just felt like twenty years of lyrics had just boiled out. I, I thought that was funny. Do you identify with that movie? Because I, I'm in a comedy troupe, and I identify with that movie. Yeah, I, everyone in a group must identify with that movie. Yeah, you do. I mean, you you see, like you know, there, there's there's a lot of time spent, and you know, the travel under. Uh, you know, difficult conditions and just amount of time and, you know, communication can get uh, difficult. Um, I think that. um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There, the Metallica one, there was some kind of financial stuff that didn't like, right. like that maybe it compounded the problem that I didn't quite relate to, you know? Oh, right. I like, see like, like, like I didn't have to like meet with my art dealer at every, at any time, you know? Um, <laughs> So, but I and I actually think in their case it seemed like that may, might have made it worse rather than right. better. Although you know these bands that stick around, like people are like, God, the Stones are still doing it. It's like, you know, they they don't ever have to be in the same room with each other. Yeah, like, I know. There's just this buffer of money, and they can spend a year away from each other. Many. The thing I identify, yeah, many. The thing I identify with Metallica with little things like when James Hetfield didn't want to uh, work past 5 p.m. because he was quitting alcohol. It's not the alcohol thing I identify with. It's the the social problems. But then he got mad when they kept working. Right. I, those, um, uh, it's not the alcohol thing. It's the um, it's the, that little problem that, uh, that happens a lot in a group. I think that uh, yeah. one guy he's the, there's no real leader, but one guy sort of acts like a leader. And that's a really I'm sure Lars is like a leader. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's that's a very. I mean, the rock band is an imperfect beast because of that because there's no leader there's everyone's supposed to be cool but there's no leader but then yeah. there's a leader and then yeah you know and then but then it's like you know he can't be not cool like like <laughs> yeah, there's exactly. like there's a lot of um there's a lot of you know in some ways you, you see like well you know fraternity the the seniors tell the freshmen to clean up <laughs> you know <laughs> and then that's how the house stays clean exactly there's always sort of a little bit of what did, did you see the Wilco documentary when Jeff Tweedy fired that guy and he said uh, and the guy was fired he said but I thought you uh, hired me to contribute to be a band and he said every circle has a center uh, but but I guess that's kind of different because 
Wilco really is Jeff Tweedy, and Jeff Tweedy can pretend that it's sort of a group. I it love is Wilco, now, though. I, I mean, uh, like, my, it, my sense was... You're so right. Uh, it's become a group now. Yeah, it really has or, become I mean, but it, it's become a group, but also, like, like it seemed like at the beginning, my... The narrative that I I knew that um, Jay Bennett was was That's sort it. of another you know a, a, a second at least a second you know if yeah. not a total equal and and that was I don't know if that's true that was my perception right. from outside and being a fan but right. um, and now it's now it's very much a group but Tweety's obviously in the center of that circle yeah. as you say I mean I, I, yeah hold I steady are you you're obviously the center of the circle or um no I mean it's it's pretty dem- democratic band but yeah I, I, at the same time I mean. By nature of being singer and also by nature of just sort of being um, – having ideas about how things should go. But I run it by everything. Like there's no – like my, my word doesn't just stand. If someone says like, no, that sounds lame, uh-huh. we don't do it, you know? Do you ever feel that you could say to them, uh, I have to quit at five every day, but I don't want anybody working after five? Do you, do you feel you could say that to the whole study? I they would be supportive if they if I had a reason to do that. Yeah, um, we you know we've had things that have happened that we've had to make arrangements for that kind of thing, and uh, everyone's sensitive. It's a good it's a very good group of people. They're my best friends, and uh, um, and there has to be sensitivity about that. But um, yeah, I mean, someone has to kind of take the lead, and I wouldn't say I'm the leader, but like you know, I am the guy who's like probably most likely to send an email and say, what about this? Right. You know, <laughs> right. uh, let's do this show or let's try to do this, you know? Um, uh, but that's, and that's something that's just kind of come from years. I mean, and I, I assume that um, your comedy troupe is similar where after a while people start getting used to their roles a little bit, right? Yeah. The, the shift though, and that's where I'm coming from. The, my troupe where there's supposed to be no leader, but of course there sort of is, but but we have enough confidence in the fact that we play the game. There is no leader. Um, that if someone said, uh, "I don't want to work after five, but you guys can't work either," it'd be a big fight. But, uh, okay. But but that's. Uh, and over the years, I guess uh, one of us has sort of become a leader only because he does the business stuff. He does the organizing. Yeah. And he's become a behind the scenes like director and producer, and, and that's sort of more like convenience. It's so easy for us that, <laughs> that he's a bit of a leader. I I had a band. lovely Bruce McCullough. <laughs> I had a band before, uh, Hold Steady, called Lifter Puller, and uh, we've done some reunion stuff, and uh, in fact, as recently as this past December, and it feels like uh, when we get together a little bit, like everyone, even after, you know, maybe five years apart, sometimes ten it, everyone kind of slides right back into their role. Yes, in, in, in a in a, in you know in this familiar way. It's not bad. It's kind of nice. It's pleasant. It's familiar. <laughs> but it's funny. No one no one shows up and starts fighting for right. a new spot. <laughs> you know, it's familiar. It's familiar. But if you're one of the two guys in the unhealthy for yourself roles, the, 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 and you're and you're fifty now, that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's yeah. I mean, there has to be. There's throughout, and and I feel like <laughs> rock and roll is. If you stick around in rock and roll, um, and this is something I've come up with in the past year because I'm 45, and if you stick around rock and roll, it sort of becomes like, who's still drinking? Who's still partying? You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, is he? Yep. Nope. Nope. He. No. He's. He's off. Right. You know. Um, <laughs> right. So right. and and that's uh, it's a sad but true statement of affairs. It's just like you know. I mean, like uh, most people have to kind of draw a line in the sand. Um, if they're going to keep, you know, going on big tours and all that. It's true. And the ones that don't, 
they're the ones that are in the news, but they're a rarity, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also people who kind of just hold it together. Like uh, Keith, I guess. And they don't – I wouldn't put him as that example. I think there's a lot of examples <laughs> hold of it together. people who are kind of like – you know, I mean, I don't – you know, I, I think there are a lot of people that are just moderate. And we don't, they don't make the news. Oh, right. Um, I see what you mean. Right. You know, but there aren't tons. Like, it seems with a touring lifestyle, it's harder and harder for people to just remain on moderate, you know? Right. Because there's people even that I meet, you know, that I know that will be like, oh, they're like 10 years older than me. And then all of a sudden they're sober, you know? And it's like, wow. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, it's good. Uh, but I, that's what I mean. It's sort of rock and roll seems to like, like force you to come to that point somehow or something. Right. You mentioned Lifter Polar. I, uh, the, I'm, and I'm obsessed with groups. My first conscious memories were uh, my aunt playing me Beatles albums. So mm-hmm. I always knew I'd be in a, I thought it was going to be a music group, but I, I always yeah. knew I'd be in a group. Um, Lifter Puller was a great group. Uh, the whole setting uh-huh. is a great group. Um, what makes one group touch a nerve with the public? It doesn't mean that one, uh, one group is not as good as the other group. And what makes one group does? The Kitchen Hall, uh, there were like 10 or 11 of us, and all of us were as good as the five of us are now. But when people started um, quitting because it didn't look like we were going to make it, and it became the five of us. We weren't the five best by far, but something happened. Uh, the, the chemistry. Um, I complimented that guy. Who complimented that guy? Yeah. Lifter Polar. Uh, City. What is it that makes one group first? Ask uh, generally, then specifically with your two bands. What makes one group hit a nerve uh, and the other, and the other group doesn't? I think if we knew this, that we would be very wealthy men. You know, yes. I mean, I think there's there's some magic that happens, and it has to do with both with things. Um, internally uh, within the band and the chemistry and then externally sort of the audience is ready for it and and sort of these other timing things I think you know lifter puller I always I always joke um, would make a better movie uh, and 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 the hold steady is a better band um, but um, because the lifter puller was very like just had sort of four very strong personalities and like create and and and, and we were younger so, and we were kind of feral so like there was like <laughs> crazy things happened you know like like both at our shows and after the shows where the old steady quickly you know fairly quickly was a little bit pro um i think with the hold steady there's a couple things one i think that um we were all a little older, and we were pretty focused. Uh, the fact that it's second sort of mm-hmm. helps a bit, right? So we were focused, and uh, we kind of got on t- and, and I think timing was another part of it. Um, we, um, like, like we, we, we um, but Lifter Polar was in Minneapolis. Hold Steady was in New York. So New York opens up some doors that's obvious, you know? Right. Um, and then at the time, there was a lot of, like, you know, we were coming off of things like um, – this sort of early 2000 rock thing in New York, which was the Strokes and yeah, yeah, yeahs. And, right. Um, but more than that, like sort of this dance stuff with a lot of like the hi-hat that went <laughs> and, um, and, you know, real in, in a very fashion forward kind of thing. And we kind of came out as these Midwestern guys that drank a lot of beer <laughs> and had like, you know, kind of a bar rock sound, E Street band sound. And it was almost like like it you could you could write the article like like, you know, it's very easy to say, well, if you don't like that, you're going to love this or in total react, you know, right. reaction. To this right. It wasn't really a reaction. We may have played that up a little bit in the press. It was just what we liked, but I think like it, the story, the story, it, it made sense at the time. It's sort of and you know, as a musician, it's not like you put more into those records that people love. It's just that they connect in some right. way, and uh, um, you were you know, um, and we were. It's 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 also I think like for our the first three, especially Hold Steady records, 
everyone was like, it, it, it was more exciting each time. Like, you know, it was like right. you got to go to another town and people would show up and see you. And then all of a sudden you go to another, another town and it would be sold out. And then you're playing the bigger club that, you know, like, like you're just excited to, to be in there. And then, and all the stuff is just happening, happening, happening. Right. And, you know, in a matter of months. And, wow. uh, and so it's, it's in, in, it, it's very exciting and people I think kind of want to climb aboard. Ah, that's interesting. Mm. You mentioned Minneapolis. Is there a reason why such great music comes from Minneapolis, or is that stupid? Was there a reason why Liverpool or Seattle for a year or two? But Minneapolis, I just had sort of two scenes. Liverpool and Seattle were like uh, like quick scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. Minneapolis goes on forever. From Bob Dylan um, uh, to you, Prince. Between uh, Prince. Is this true? I know I'm interested in my own question. I read this, and I hope this is true, that uh, Prince... Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and Mar- uh, Mar- uh, Mary Morris—they were on the same band in high school. That may be true. I don't know. Um, I I think that Minneapolis is—it's just I don't know if it started with Prince or I don't think it started with Bob Dylan because he moved away and he kind of even wouldn't admit that he was from there for a while. Right, so, yeah. um, but but I think right. especially when Prince and then in the eight, early '80s when the replacements and Husker Du came out, um, it felt like there was a pride of that in the city. Um, that's carried a lot of weight since. Like it felt like people were like, "We're unique here." It's a, it's a you know it's a um, to me it's a very special place, but it's geographically removed from you know. I mean, the next biggest city is Milwaukee or Chicago, right. which isn't that close. It's like six or seven hours. I've driven there. Yeah. Uh, so so it feels like you know you're up there, and especially before the internet, you were kind of doing your own thing, and you could you know even with like Lifter Puller, we never really connected on a national level but we could still get a lot of people to come out to see us in minneapolis and there we weren't the only band like that there was kind of this own scene and this own world that created there i read somewhere that someone's theory it may have been the guitarist from soul asylum that the cold uh, has something to do with the music scene i believe that staying indoors is probably helpful (laughs) uh, for the music uh we're gonna take a little break and we'll get back uh, with craig and um i'm kevin mcdonald and oh Here's something I, I, you never thought I'd hear me say. You never thought you'd hear I say. Uh, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. For you, the listeners of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, Casper is offering $50 towards any mattress purchase at Casper.com. The Casper mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's got just the right sink. Just the right bounce. It's made up of two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. They come together for a life well slept. The Casper mattress is now the most awarded mattress of the decade. So what are you waiting for? Go get one! To receive $50 towards any mattress purchase, go to www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Again, that's www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. For $50 towards any mattress purchase. We're also sponsored by Warby Parker. Warby Parker is offering Kevin McDonald Show listeners with a free five-day home try-on to give you the opportunity to check out their glasses. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. Their home try-on program allows customers to order five pairs of glasses to be shipped directly to them where they can try them on in the comfort of their own home and get feedback from friends, family, colleagues. Users can keep the frames for five days before sending them back free. 
using the prepaid returning shipping label with no obligation to purchase. To get your home try on today, go to www.warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. That was fun. I'm going to do it again. That's warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald for your free five-day home try on. Hello, I'm Kevin McDonald with Craig Finn, and we're back. I always wanted to be a DJ going, and now we're off to the races with Brian Adams. Cuts like a... I just always <laughs> wanted to say, we're off to the races. We're off to the races. I don't know if I heard that before. Um, here's a, uh, an opinion question. I just, uh, I'm interested in people's opinions. I think I know the answer, because you've mentioned them a few more uh, times, but uh, here we go. Maybe it'll open a conversation. Yeah. Um, do I say the normal way people say it? Husker do or replacements? Well, Husker you. do is how I would say it, um, and I think that's right. Sorry, is, is that the? I'm sorry, I yeah, missed uh, it. Uh, I am, you know, that's a, that's like be choosing between your children. I, I guess, um, uh, I grew up more of a replacements fan, uh, but like, but to say that, I think when I was 16, I would have said yes to replacements. But and then if you would ask me my second favorite band, I would have said Husker do. So it's not <laughs> like there, there's huge. Um, it's funny. They're, they're they're different things to me. Um, I think uh, Husker do like replacements uh, were more, more romantic to me. Um, they um, ah. they you know they were less less fast, less belligerent. Maybe had some kind of they had more songs that you might impress a girl with. You know. Right. Um, but as a musician, you know, at my now that I look back on both bands' careers, I'm extremely impressed by. Husker do's do it yourself. They're 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 touring and they're the um oh, right. the uh, prolificness of um their their catalog and just what a massive amount of how much artistry and hard work was there and uh, so it's hard for me to pick one or the other. I really love both, um, but I think the replacements I um are connected. The replacements probably are a little more connected to Minneapolis um right. in some way. Uh, Bob uh, is, you know, came to Twin Cities to go to school there. So, um, you know, I don't know if that plays into it, but the but the replacements I had see. that sort of lovable loser thing that I think a Midwesterner. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know that I thought Husker Du were losers. I thought they were just like a tr- a train barreling forward. Where where the replacements? I mean, the replacements were an interesting thing. Like when you know, there there was this narrative that. Um, you can hear like, oh, they almost made it. You know, they almost right. did it. And to me, I'm like, well, for a band that kind of tanked half their shows, they did pretty damn well. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, like I know. Uh, if any other band did that, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be like well loved. They would be. And would that be the strength of the songwriting? Do you think the songwriting saves things like that? Do you think? I think in part. In part, I think it's a little bit. If you build it, will come. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, like you. They could be the band that did that, but there couldn't be another one. You know, so, right. Um, so I, th- but I think the songwriting, I think that they, they had, a, you know, when you talk about like a perfect mix of, uh, pathos, tenderness and belligerence and drunkenness and then, <laughs> and wit and wit and romance and, um, you know, they just sort of had it all. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it was a perfect storm. Ah, 
and uh, sorry, I'll try to pronounce it better. Husker do. I read this, uh, the something you said about them. The, you remind me, of course I knew it, but I never really think about it because you think about Bob Mo. They had two great songwriters. Two great songwriters. Grant Hart was an amazing songwriter as well. And a co- competitive spirit between the two. In a good I, way, in a healthy yeah, way? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that You'd have to ask them if it was healthy. <laughs> but uh, um, I think in the sense that it created a lot of art, um, uh, then I think, yes, very healthy. Um, and I think that that, has to, I mean, they were putting out records every nine months, you know, for a while and, and, um, touring them hard. Um, the one, yeah. So they, they, that's a spectacular, I mean, it's spectacular that those two bands were existed in Minneapolis, St. Paul at the same time. And I remember going like when my dad was in, like he was a businessman and he would go to New York for work and he, I would um, ask him to bring back the village voice to me uh, for me. Cause I, I would like to look uh, at like the club listings in the back and right. see all the bands that were playing in New York. Oh, and, wow. um, and I remember like getting the passage job pull off one year and it was like, you know, who's your and replacements were all the way up there. And I was even at, you know, I was probably in eighth grade or seventh, eighth grade, and I was like, wow, it's crazy. Like, we're, it feels like we're in the middle of, the, you know, we're in the center of the universe, which is not something you say <laughs> often when you live in Minneapolis. Right, right. Uh, uh, I, I love both bands, but I guess back then in the 80s, the replacements were my favorite. But I just read the book on the replacements. Mm-hmm. And it's fr- that part of the reason, well, the major reason was the songwriting. But part of the reason was that their spirit, uh, it was sort of hip in a way, the, the way they would uh, screw things up on purpose. But when you read the book, you get frustrated because they screw things on purpose all the time. Always the big show. They do it too drunk. And they get, yeah. uh, like Saturday Night Live, like all, they finally get a van with a bathroom. So what do they do? They trash the bathroom. <laughs> like all the day. It stops being hip after a while. There was, yeah, there was some really like. Um, it becomes self destructive. There was some self destructive. I read the book too and I thought it was fantastic. Yes, Bob it's a great Merritt book. It's a great wrote, book. An amazing book. And it's a the great research book. involved was just so impressive. It's funny. I grew up in Minneapolis, obviously, and I, I they're my favorite band. So I thought I knew it all. But like it turned out I didn't even know where Paul Westerberg went to high school. Like, right. and now I learned that from that book, which is cool. Uh, you know, some of these very inside and local things that I was like really impressed with. But there was stuff that, you know, like thinking about them trashing that van and, and, and that their manager had to like make a call. And, and I thought, well, that's not cool. That's not, you know. You, yeah, see, you don't like, think about that, the manager making the call to the guy who was nice enough to sell the van? Yeah. A rock band should have a van, the guy said. Like, yeah. yeah. When you and, think about it in those terms. Say, or like say like, yeah, well, we trashed it. Now you deal with it. Like that's. That's not great. Like yeah. that's not how I would want. I don't think that part of rock and roll is cool. I think treating people well is is cool. Absolutely, yeah. And it sounds sort of hip from a distance, uh, but but you're right. Funny. The reality of the manager having to call a guy the, the yeah. I mean, the you know, you trash the hotel room. Someone's got to clean it up. And even if you pay for it, you know, someone's like yeah. uh, you know, not not getting home on time because they're they're cleaning up the shards of glass from your TV screen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, Elvis. Uh, one more uh, opinion question. Um, uh, Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen? Uh, that's another one. Um, I guess it's funny because I, 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 I'm going to say, I'm going to qualify this and say um, Springsteen because I've spent more time with Springsteen. I was always like a, uh, a Dylan fan that was... Uh, well, just a medium fan. Like, like I, I didn't, I, I hadn't gotten totally bit by the Dylan bug until maybe I turned thirty or thirty-five, and it's then, and now it's like my main thing. So it's like, like probably it's, it's on it, like the, the X and the Y axis. Like the Dylan's going up, 
Uh, right. Because now it's like, oh my god, I, I haven't really heard that album. And there's outtakes, and you can get. It's the thing I was talking about earlier when it's you're exactly at this age it. and you have this catalog to dive into. And, and now, Dylan was his 40, 50 albums. I think I have thirty five of them. I've been on a Dylan kick. I, I'm, I'm totally. It's different. great, and it's amazing. Like you can read, listen to the '80s ones. You're like, well, I don't love the keyboard tone on that, but what a song, you know. <laughs> and I like a few months ago or this within this year, I I I, I listened to the song Hurricane, um, like. 800 times in a row like I was just like <laughs> wow what a song and it's yeah. like you know it's socially conscious it's a story it's just it's an yeah. incredible piece of music and it was the first socially conscious song in a while too and it was it was like one it is one of his best songs yeah, ever for it's sure. amazing it's a and in a small way it helped uh, Hurricane Carter get out of prison right yeah I think that's it, correct it opened the door to the the door being opened I guess. And, it's, and it's a weird you know you get into like you, you see sort of like obviously there's no Bruce Springsteen without Bob Dylan too you know like you, it's funny, like you get older and you start to see like the, like the threads, and I, um, right, I like you know I was like uh, like like you know obviously Dylan leads to Springsteen, right, and uh, especially if you hear like Nebraska, which is one of my all time favorite albums. Yeah, yeah, but even no, but even the first two records, like you know, that, oh that yeah, the lyrics, of, all that poetry and yeah, all the, yeah, the lyrics, yeah, um, and you know, I mean, Bowie's another thing, like like. Uh, you just hear it in all these things, like like well, wow, that David Bowie, like like I love, still love the psychedelic furs. Um, and it's one of my favorite bands. Talk 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 is one of my favorite albums, and yeah. then like, but like I put that on now, and I'm like, as as in my forties, and I'm like. Oh wow, David Bowie. Well, hello. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, like the one aspect of the, one of the many aspects yeah, of David Bowie. Yeah, and and like you know, I I don't think like when I first got into that record at sixteen or whatever, I was thinking like this is super influenced by Bowie. I just like liked it. <laughs> Sounded good. So a, I'm a little older than you, so I remember us talking about that. It's it's a little bit like Bowie, but it's a good album. Yeah, know? yeah. Was that the one Todd Rundgren produced? Uh, did Todd Rundgren produce? Uh, I think he produced. I don't think he produced Talk Talk Talk, but I may be wrong. No, I think you're right. Uh, I think he produced the one after the mirror moves or something, but I may be wrong. I think you could be right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Dylan, I don't know what my favorite album is. Is it Blood on the Tracks or Blonde on Blonde? I, 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 you tell me what's my favorite. <laughs> I think Blood on the Tracks is probably my favorite, but um, you know, there's just there's that's probably my favorite. I, that, you know, but even like Freewheel and us, like there's stuff oh, yeah. in that. Like that's I, I talk about funny. I mean, yeah. he was he wrote so many comedy songs uh, at the beginning, and there's so many great songs that he wrote that he didn't release that that we we get now like in live performances. That, yeah, that, that yeah. were famous anyway. They were famous before they released them. Then yeah, but then it, there's there's this other part of him that he's he's also kind of scary to me. Like like yeah. you know like like you. He's not like someone like, oh, I'd love to meet Bob Dylan. Yeah, You're I'm like, very no. happy not to meet him. Just no, to, what, stay over there. <laughs> he'd be crazy and say something weird. And uh, I mean, he may say something nice. I could see that. But it may, uh, yeah. Uh, There's just very little upside to meeting someone like that. Yeah, right? yeah, I think so. Maybe meeting Elvis Costello would get more out that of it. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, was there a time in your life when you knew you were going to be a musician? Or did it? Did you accidentally stumble into it? Uh, well, both. I, I mean, I always wrote songs. I loved being, you know, I loved music and I loved buying records and going to shows and I had a band but it didn't seem like it was going to happen in any like way that was going to allow me to really pursue it um, until in fact like when I moved to New York in 2000 Lifter Polar had broken up and I kind of thought it was you know over um, I was kind of I was married and I was thinking I was going to do something else I thought New York would be would be part of figuring it out and um, I didn't have a band for two years and then wow Tad moved here and we started playing and we were kind of, and it was funny. Um, it's it's amazing because we were really 
honestly having conversations like that would go like, okay, Tuesday night, we're going to start playing, but we're only going to like, just like play. We're not playing any shows. <laughs> we're not going to record. That was our, like our two things. Like, like cause that stuff's not fun. That's right, where right. the fun goes out of it. Take the pressure off. Yeah. Right? And then we just would drink beer and play. But then of course we then like, you know, we wrote some songs like, well, we might as well record them. <laughs> so we remember them, you know, right. and then play a show. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's 13 years later. I don't know how many thousands of shows, I guess, probably thousand. I don't know. Wow. I always think musicians want to, uh, comedians want to be musicians and musicians want to be comedians. Did you ever want to be a comedian? Um, I, y- yes. Um, I, I never would. What, what I would want to be is, uh, I've, I've had a lot of jealousy when I've watched uh, comedians, um, roll up to the show without any equipment. That's, yeah, I love that. That that, that, that and uh, and ra- your carrot top rappers too. Yeah, like like I'm yeah. always like, yeah, man, wow, that's cool. Like, there's no bass cab if you're a comedian. You just get up there and do it. I mean, I think there's a lot of. I've always kind of had um, I mean, because Saturday Night Live or whatever, there always seems to be like comedy and rock kind of you know together. You know, you yeah. like like you see you see it, and uh, but they're, I, I don't. They're United Arts. They are the United Arts. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think maybe like more. They've come like they were, and now they've come back more. Maybe there's in the ever middle. since the Beatles and Python became friends, or like right. Harrison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think they're kind of yeah. No, well, like the Grateful Dead and um uh um. Uh, Franken and Davis yeah. were like, you know, were they really? Oh yeah, like the I think Franken and Davis like, did they introduce the Grateful Dead movie? They're from Minneapolis. They are. They yes, are. Um, yeah, they are. And they uh, introduced the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead movie, maybe I think, is like they're in it. I don't know. I, I know they're 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 dead guys. Wow. They've they've done they've done stuff with the Grateful Dead. Yeah, but comedy and you know John Belushi obviously is rock and uh, roll. Ro- you know rock and roll and um and and all the way to Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen, someone I I I would play shows with in Lifter Puller. He had a band called Trench Mouth. Oh yeah, of course. Um, there's a lot of rock and roll. Yeah. Dave Foley, when we were young and struggling, we, uh, we, he was a little drunk. He would say, "We're the Sex Pistols of comedy." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was half embarrassed, but half agreed with him. <laughs> what one would you be then? Would you be Sid? I'd be Sid, probably. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't be Sid. Um, I'd be the, the Sex Pistols album. I, I, I know everyone's on this forever, but I just found. Re- I remember, like everyone said, oh, they can't play their instruments. And when I was sixty, I think there's two great times in rock where to be sixteen. In '77, when I was sixteen, when uh, punk came out, yeah. and when my mother was sixteen, when, when rock and roll started, like '55. Yeah. But I was, in a way, I was disappointed when I heard the Sex Pistols because I liked it so much, and I thought they can play their instruments. They can play their instruments, awesome. Because it's not Sid playing, right? Right. Well, I, well, Sid, I don't think Sid was in the band yet, right? When and it was a real that. drummer. It was a different drummer. I don't know, but I do think it's one of the greatest sounding records of all time. I do. I, it's just it's they played amazing. their instruments, and and was it the, what's I'm going blank? The guitarist was it really him that played on the the record? Uh, Steve Jones. I think that was him. Yeah, because he's really great. Right. Uh, but a different bass player and different drummer, perhaps. Maybe I'm not sure. But it, I, I do, I see what you're saying because I, I loved it, but also it's disappointing because I expected more noise. And I, I, but when I heard it, it was like uh, I, I was hearing things, you know. But by the time I heard it, it was probably 1983, and I was hearing it alongside things that like. Um, hardcore that was right. very rudimentary and i'm like no that's not playing your <laughs> instrument <laughs> the sex pistols sounded pretty pro it was chuck berry in a way i remember also thinking yeah. that at 16 uh, this is chuck berry but with like uh, the themes that chuck berry would never write about massive hooks too. yeah massive hooks. really massive hooks 
Did Johnny run and write the songs with the with Steve Jones? Like, what, what is that? Do you know That's that? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but I, I got to think Steve Jones was involved, and in, it's certainly my impression that he was involved but in the, the yeah. songwriting, but I don't know the answer to that, actually. Because it is great hooks. When, when, uh, when you were a teenager and you were thinking about music, did you uh, vision your future as a solo artist or, or as a part of a band? Always part of a band. I loved bands. I mean, from the replacement. I mean, like the first thing I saw ever that got me into music was the Monkees TV show. And I was like, they live together, girls yeah. dig them. You know, it's, it was very, it's like, what wasn't to like? Like, so they could burst into song at any time. And I, 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 um, I like that, and then Kiss, and then, you know, but always bands, and then The Replacements, and R.E.M., and things like that, always part of a band. Um, I wanted to be a part of that, and um, I get it, you know, I mean, I get, I get, uh, a band is a cool thing, even though it's a, it's a lot of work, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like a marriage, you know? Oh, it's, it's like totally a, marriage. You know? And, and the biggest thing, the example to me is Metallica. Are they the most famous? Lived in a van for like like seven years until they they made it, and uh, like yeah. they, it's so hard to be together all the time. Yeah, I mean, um, so I, I think that, but I've always pictured it as. I mean, you know, if nothing else, when you think about like like a band name looks cool on a t shirt, even looks cooler than you know David Bowie or Lou Reed, like someone's name, you know, <laughs> like like. Uh, so right. I think like a band is is is, is there's some, some things there's always yeah it's, there's <laughs> mystery there's a mystery to it you know I always ask this question I'm uh, I'm fascinated by boring things but um, was it a coincidence that you were a great songwriter like I always think Bob Dylan he moved to New York he wanted to be first he wanted to be Little Richard he eventually wanted to be Woody Guthrie um, and he he probably would have been happy doing covers of old songs which he does quite well um, and then all of a sudden he started writing his first song and to me he must have been he must Wow, I can write songs. It must have been like, in a way, it was an amazing coincidence. I don't think that was his first plan. How did that? Uh, your, how's your relationship with songwriting? Right? I tried to write songs like the second I had two guitar chords. I was like, right. uh, that was like the reason I wanted a guitar was okay, to write I songs. See. I wanted, and I really liked. Excellent. I mean, no surprise, but I really liked words in song. The words to songs. I no never, surprise. Yeah. Never was into poetry, but like, like you know, put it to music, and I would. And my parents didn't have a ton of records. Um, but they had like, you know, like Paul Simon and I would sit there and I would like listen to it and I would read it, read along. And like, you know, I still think of like, um, uh, slip sliding away, you know, the Paul Simon song. There's like, um, you know, some in the middle of one of the verses, he says, Dolores, I live in fear. And you're like, who's Dolores? Yeah. <laughs> How did she get in here? And I, and I, I, I realized I've taken that and I, I've used that, wow. like, that, that kind of trick often throughout my songs where like you know in the second verse you you are something like wait who's that Juanita yeah. you know um Dylan would do that too uh, to yeah. switch gears and uh yeah yeah just sort of kind of so you love the songwriting idea first that's exciting to me yeah I, I I wanted I wanted to write songs I wanted to I I I wrote songs uh probably starting in eight, seventh eighth grade and uh I still have a song I sometimes a lifter puller song um, but was like one of the early, I wrote it before we started Lifter Puller. I wrote it in my college dorm room. It's called Mission Viejo. And, um, it's the oldest song I've written that I still like. Wow. So and you still I play live? No, I, I will play it. I will play it cause I still like it. And wow. that's like, that was like my first good song. And that was probably when I was about 20. Do you think that I'm right about Bob Dylan? That he, um... It was a coincidence he was a great songwriter, that he had no idea? I don't think you're right that he'd be happy playing just other people's music. It doesn't seem like Maybe with a brain like him. his that, that there would be something unshared. Because I feel like, to me, like some, and I, I've come to this idea as I get older, that like 
there's some part of sharing or or putting out your art that that is very important and and absolutely a part of it that must happen for it to kind of right. be art. You know what I mean? Like it has to be. You can't be just. You can't just like make little things and put them in a shoebox. I guess it was them. just destined to be. He, he was young. He wasn't thinking the songwriting was just going to happen. I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what? That's a genius brain. What would it have done? I mean, yeah. like you know, like it would have. I mean, unless it would have been splitting atoms or something. I, I do believe that there's, there's. You're right. You I, know. I agree. He wouldn't have been happy playing. <laughs> so it's funny. Every time he's in a a, a songwriting block. He goes back to the old songs and releases albums of old songs. So, so it is something he enjoys. Yeah, uh, and it's sort of, and then it's usually after that where he, the next classic album happens. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that both him and Springsteen, and 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 I think a lot of other great artists, but those come to mind, are are very well versed in in rock and roll's history. Yes, you know, and um, you know, Paul, Bob Dylan had that radio hour, and he played one time like he played "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and it has all these different verses, <laughs> like you know, and you're like wow. And um, I know he's just sort of encyclopedic about folk and, and rock music, wow. and uh, and that I think gives you a lot to draw on. Yeah, and he once said, "I kind of like everything." Uh, I asked everyone this question, though I, I I'm guessing the answer. The last time I guess the answer I was wrong. Okay. Uh, What's your favorite thing of the rock and roll? Is it is it songwriting? Is it recording in the studio? Um, is it playing guitar? Is it singing? Is it touring? What's your favorite thing uh, about your I job? I think the songwriting. That's what I would have guessed. And but you know I think one I don't love the the recording isn't isn't like some people love that you know yeah. but I'm like uh, I'm big into like the song is captured let's right <laughs> like you know. Um, uh, but I like touring. I, I really do. I like touring uh, um, um, more than a lot of people my age do. Um, I don't have any kids or anything, so I'm kind of like free to, you know, uh, free to roam a little bit. I, I have a girlfriend, a partner that I've been with for a long time, but um, and we live together. But you know, I don't have like I've set up my life so that I can do that, and I really do enjoy it. In fact, like I always like I'm a little bit jealous when I see bands that are like you know like. Like uh, just you know, taken off in some far, far reach of the world. Like right. you know, we got this huge following in, in wherever you know, and they they you know right. get to go because I've always like wished I could go more places with it. But I've got I have been blessed with being able to go to a lot of Europe and Australia and all around North America and all that. And I I love I love the touring. I'm going to the UK in a few weeks, uh, in a week, wow. and I'm excited for that. And you know, that's not. Super exotic, but it's some. It's very exciting to me uh, to be there and play there, and I've I've gone there a lot, and I love it there, and uh, all that kind of thing is is really exciting to me. When what's your biggest tour? Like, do you go out for like six months or two mm. months? Or uh, we just did five weeks, uh, and that's, that's like perfect, like five weeks, then like home a little bit, then five weeks. Yeah, again. well, no, I, usually it's shorter. Usually it's like three, right? Um, but five was pretty long for these days, and. Uh, it was it was it was fine. It was great actually. Like uh I you know, sometimes like I've gone on tours that have shorter than that that have felt long. Right. But this one was particularly great. So um I uh five weeks is fine. Um, you know, there's little different things that you can do to recharge in the middle. Um, you know, we did a lot of two night stands on this tour. So that really helped. Oh, it's great to stay in the city more than one night. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really great. That's amazing, yeah. you know? Um uh, I, I and also I this one I've toured a lot, especially with the whole study in a bus. But we toured in a van with this one, and actually I felt like it was 
better mental health wise to sort of see the sun and um, see <laughs> yeah. that you see your surroundings and, and be a little more on a normal person's schedule. Like, all right, well, we got to start driving at nine, but then we'll stop for lunch at noon. And that's like normal, yeah. you know, like um, right. where, where like on the bus, you wake up and you usually sleep late and it's like noon and you're just getting up and you open the door to the bus. It's dark in the yeah. bus and you open up and the sun's oh, yeah. shining and you're like, ah, and you don't <laughs> feel like a member of society. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. I, I hate tours like that. I don't hate anything. So, <laughs> sir. Uh, but uh, the, there was one tour in 2007, I guess we were in a tour bus. And after every show, we'd go to the next city. And so you'd fall asleep at four in the morning. They'd wake you up at the hotel. And it was the weirdest feeling. And then I'd go to the hotel room and then I'd go to sleep again. And I didn't have nightmares. I had sound mares. I call them sound mares where uh, people were talking to me. Kevin, oh, wow. the bus, get back in the bus. What are you doing in the room? Get back oh, in the yeah. It was yeah. sort of a nightmare, but it, but I was dreaming that I was in bed in the hotel room. Uh, so it's And that happened like four or five nights in a row. That, that freaked me. Because it's a weird lifestyle, like a tour bus lifestyle that way is kind of weird. So you guys tour in a bus? Uh, or you do? You we did, yeah, we, yeah, we do sometimes. This time we didn't. Um, uh, was it to save money or because we're getting older and planes are more convenient? I, yeah, for, yeah. I forget the reason, but it was... Let me ask you, when you guys cross a border, whether it's, you know, into the U.S. or out of the U.S., do... Because rock bands, it's notoriously hard to cross a border. Does a comedy group, is it the same The same thing? When we were younger. Yeah. Um, when we were, uh, now we're like in our 50s, so they sort of trust us more. <laughs> and there's always one guy that knows us now. Yeah. But yeah, when we were younger, it was really... And Scott always had his drugs. No, oh, okay. <laughs> Can I say this on yeah, yeah. Uh, And Oh, over and the he, border? That's risky. Well, we, this we'd always have a fight the hour before we got to the border in the bus. We did get, Scott, you have to get rid of it. Yeah. You're not getting rid of your alcohol. Again, Scott, yeah, alcohol's yeah. not illegal. Right, uh, right. Uh, uh, you have to get, uh, get rid of it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like I've been on debauched tours, but it's been pretty much everything's out of the bus. <laughs> like, when we're crossing You got border, it, right? Like, there's nothing... Yeah, there's... there's even, even riding over a border clean at 45 years old, I get nervous. Like, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, you anything, know? especially nowadays. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although this but even before then. Yeah, yeah. The last yeah. tour was easy? Uh, last tour, like, it's funny, we kind of geared ourselves up for it. And uh, I was touring, the, my band, the, the band I was touring, you know, that was backing me up had a, an Indian guy and a Mexican guy. Um, so it was like, oh, we're going to, you know, try <laughs> to get back into the Trump's America. And uh, wow. and it actually was, it, it, it's the funniest thing was we, we rolled up. Too. And we, we went around, instead of going whatever that one straight down from Toronto is, we drove to the Thousand Islands. Right. Yep. And so we Vacation thought, many times there as a kid. We thought it would be chiller, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. like And so we went, and it was a Sunday, and we go over, and the guy, we've come up to the guy, oh, no. and he comes up, and he's like, you know, you, you guys banned or something? And I said, yeah. And we said, yeah. And I said, he said, what kind of music do you play? And I said, classic rock. <laughs> and it's the smartest thing I've ever said. He lo- he's like nice, you know? <laughs> and uh, and he's like, you doing any of your your stuff, or you just got like you know some of your, um, you know? And I was like, yeah, we do some of our own stuff. You know? and he's like, All right. And then like he looked in the van, and we didn't even have to get out of it, which is like never That's happened before. Of. But I think That's classic unheard. rock is the answer. Wow, I'll say classic comedy. Yeah, <laughs> classic comedy. There was someone uh, in Montreal. Someone she was born in Canada. Uh, her, her parents are from India, 
and she was she was planning she's getting married her fiance is an american and she was she went to plan her wedding and they didn't let her in and they didn't let her in anymore and the guy said i know what you the guy the guard when they didn't let her in the the guy the board of the guard said uh i know what you're thinking you've been trumped and, <laughs> and like what did he mean by that I, I like he didn't finish with um you're not being i know you're yeah. thinking that but he that that's how he ended it i always uh and now that's a verb. Now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it's it it certainly is. It it it's changed the vibe when you when you. I mean, because it used to be like, I hope they let us into Canada. Yeah. Now you're a little bit like, let oh, us back in. The let us back in. <laughs> well, the, uh, do you write politically? Well, the the political uh, situation would that affect your writing, even if it's in a sideways kind of way? I think it already has in a sideways. I mean, I think like in some ways, like. Uh, we all want the same things as a title of the new record is, is, is in some ways right. a nod to uh, the divisiveness of these times. You know, I think like in this whole record, I was trying to create something that empathy for people who are struggling. And I think struggle is part of how we got here, you know, or people struggling and people looking for a Hail Mary or a savior, you know, like, like people did. I, I think, you know, right. I don't think like, I, I, I just sort of feel like there's at least some people out there. They're like, well, this guy seems like a jerk to me too, but nothing else is working. Yeah, I know. Um, so uh, I don't know. The, I, I I think it's got to. I mean, I think like you become. I, you know, when I was twenty five, I, I don't know that I read the newspaper. You know, and right, right. Now I'm like reading it hourly or refreshing certain sites and being like, it's, "What's you know?" Yeah. Feels like things are happening on the hour now rather than on the day. Or they the are. Week. It's so chaotic. I, I'm on uh, every time I'm writing, I, I go on CNN breaking news to see what's yeah, happening, yeah. and quite often something's happening. Something's happening, right? <laughs> yeah. Quite often. Um, yeah, and I've been reading a lot about the Civil War, and when you think about the Civil War, um, I don't know why, I guess I was reading books by Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant, and uh, it was only, what, 150 years ago? Or, yeah. Uh, it's not, that's not long. Um, well, uh, there's still, like, there's still uh, state personalities that aren't sure. so dissimilar. There's also, like, I'm really interested, like, the last record I did, uh, I had a song that was kind of about 9-11, which is, like, why is there a song on 9-11 in 2015? And it's because I was really interested in those years that followed and, and sort of these hangover times, you know, where right. I was, like, and I was thinking about, you know, like, like what about, like, you know, the years 2001 to 2005 or so when everyone, you know, I and I lived, moved here in 2000, so it was kind of fresh, but I just remember everyone was kind of edgy and drinking a lot and going home with each other very easily like it was it was the there was there was a hangover um and i think about like you know thinking about the 70s movies we talked about earlier that seems like you know taxi driver and what all those movies seem like kind of a hangover from vietnam absolutely absolutely and so like there are these like big events political events and then there's this sort of thing like how does that affect right you know life in new york city um, or what you know, in Taxi Driver or whatever. Your songs are like that, and then there's the reverse. The movie Network sort of uh, paved the way for like Trump in a way, mm-hmm. like a reality star becoming a, a yeah. president. Yeah, and that's in. Um, I mean, there's something like that in um, Infinite Jest too. I think uh, in David Foster Wallace. I think the president in that is a, is a former lounge singer, <laughs> um, which is you know kind of Trumpian. I mean, that's uh, Atlantic City, you know, <laughs> gambling. 
Wow. Uh, uh, all right. I, I want to ask you this before uh, someone gives me a signal. Uh, how, did, how did you get a song Game of Thrones? How, uh, what was it? They, you know, the guys, Dan and Dave, I believe are their names, uh, asked that if we would they, – they did a song. Like that song existed in the books, and, and so they – I think there had been some precedent. Oh. Like I think the National had done one too where they said we want to do this once once a season where you guys – and they, you know, we've got this song – it's like a big drinking song, so it seems like the whole state would be good at it. And so we we're like, yeah, it seems like that'd be fun. And um, I didn't really know. I, I I know of the show, of course. Everyone watches it. My girlfriend watches. It. I I don't. I haven't. I haven't, seen it I haven't watched it. Um, it's things that are set in way different eras or fantasy things are hard for me because I if there's a lot of costumes, I st- I can't <laughs> I can't keep track of the characters. Gangster movies are kind of hard sometimes for me too cuz I'm like, what what Italian guy is that? Right. Um but <laughs> but uh so but some of the other guys watched the show and and they were totally excited. I mean, I was excited too, but uh we got to go to the um the set? the set in Belfast, outside of Belfast, oh, wow. and that was really cool. And even like as someone who didn't watch the show, that was kind of amazing because you just saw like how I, and some of the tricks. I don't know, if you, like like just how they like made these big landscapes look certain way. Right. And, and like you know, we got to go into some sort of ice world, which was cool. <laughs> so you wrote the song without knowing the show that well, or uh, well, the the song was written. I mean, it's so not just lyrics, like the music too. No, but. Uh, to music uh, we wrote uh, the whole study wrote. I mean, I think Tana had the idea, but it was it was kind of a, it's kind of a, it, it was kind of um, they sort of had a direction, you know, they right, were kind right. of like drinking songs, so it kind of took care of itself. Right? Okay, okay, like oh yeah, it's that thing, it's and you could chanting. live with it. It was a good song. Yeah, it's great. Excellent. It's great. Yeah, Excellent. I mean, you know, it's 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 funny. I'll tell you the one thing. There's that, and then um, my friend, my my one of my best friends. Um, well, my best friend Eddie Kitsis um, is uh, a television writer, and uh, he wrote for a show Lost. And uh, he, in the second season of Lost, there um, is a scene where the guy Hugo, the character, says, "Hey, would you like to go to a Hold Steady concert with me?" To this girl, and oh, wow. I remember we were in a diner in Canada on tour, and everyone's phone just went like, like, <laughs> and and when you, my point is when you interface with television. Right, you realize how much bigger television is than music. Like, right. like so many people watch these shows, and even you know a successful indie band isn't even a blip compared to how many people uh, watch you know um, Game of Thrones or Lost or absolutely. something like that. And and music's different. Um, Neil Young singing uh, like against things like that now. <laughs> don't hold water. Now that there's no hit singles, now an indie band having a song on a commercial is their hit single. Yeah, and I have no problem with that. Times have changed. That's no. Like, it's wonderful. I, I, I that's no, yeah. you know, that's how they would get a like a hit single. Yeah, and especially I think it's like yeah, absolutely, and especially like I do it all the time now. Like I'll be watching kind of you know a hip TV show that I'm watching. Like uh, I'll be like, oh, what's that? And Shazam it, and like yeah. I, like I hear about things and through then that. Get the album like, or something. Yeah, yeah. How has the shifting music industry uh, affected your life? Does it mean you have to tour more or? Yeah, I mean, or you're more hoping for those kind of like those kind of things, those licensing things. But yeah, it's more tour. I mean, the touring is always going to be was always a better part of the business because, you know, when you go on tour, you even if say if records are selling, like you know, the record sells in the store and the store takes their cut, sends it to the distributor, distributor takes their cut, sends it to the label, label takes their cut, sends Jeez. it to you. So you know, the touring 
if for nothing, no other thing, you touch the money first. You know, you play the show and your tour right. manager gets paid. Now you've got the money and your agent's like, I, I need my cut. But you're like, okay, well, we'll yeah. give it to you. But, you know, like we're holding it right now. <laughs> like, so, I mean, like there's right. some power in that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think um, I'm not even, even though I've been doing this for a while, I'm still not of the era of like where records sold a lot. So right. I, there's nothing I'm missing. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. There was never right. a big check in my mailbox from records. When did everything change? 2004? I think probably right around <laughs> then, yeah. I mean, like, like the Hold Steady's first record was 2004. And right. I think, like, I mean, to me, it seemed like like burning discs was the big thing. You know, like like when you could be like, oh, I'm going to burn you a disc. Yes. That seemed like, and then that, that sort of, to me, was a big breakthrough, more so than the digital, like the streaming or anything like that, because it was like, Oh wait, the CD itself is just a glass, and what I really want is the water, right? Right. And so, if I don't need the glass, you know, <laughs> like I can still get the water. Then, I, and I, and I think that that probably that to me was the sea change. Right. How do you feel about that? Do you wish it was back in the days where boys bands in the late nineties were selling twenty million? <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it because it just can't. It's not going to be. Um, right. But I, I do. I I will say this that I. I love the idea that more and more people are into vinyl because, um, you know, you create something and it's nice to have people listening to it in the form. And I still think of albums like I think, oh, "Oh, this is going to be the first song on the second side. And I'll always think that way. So I'm glad people are like, you know. uh, I love to hold something. Like I'm 10 years older than you and it was albums. And I remember I bought Pet Sounds when I was a kid just because I liked the album cover. And then when I went home and it actually ended up being a good record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're blessed. Yeah, right? yeah, and it wasn't always like that. Uh, I didn't always it all, always didn't turn out to be a good record, but it was uh, to hold something. And uh, sometimes I would just stare at the the album cover as the music was played. Yeah, and, me too. I think we all did that. And that was <laughs> sort of that's how it started. That's one reason I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that it's sort of in the mid '60s? It became, are we signaling? The last question. In the mid '60s, it became about um, uh, albums. Yeah. Do you think it's reverting back to singles in a way? It is for sure, but for a lot of people, but not necessarily for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you always think in terms yeah, of I always albums. think of albums. But I, I, you know, I think like most probably like the top people, ten is sort of thinking in terms younger of, people. I'm sure, like yeah. you know, like think of like oh, I just like what what's this album? It's interesting. I mean, you know, like like I still am like, oh, let's make that the weird eighth song, you know. <laughs> And you know, I think probably someone who's twenty is like, "Why well, you need a weird eighth song?" Right? You know? Like, why, like, but but to me, that that sort of fleshes out the personality of the artist. Absolutely. You know? And my step kids, they they get singles uh, on their listening machines, whatever they're called. They yeah. don't they don't get a whole person's album. That would right. be crazy. Right. That's yeah. That's crazy though. Not crazy to me though. <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> that was a bad last question. It should have been more about you. But I really enjoyed this talk. Oh, me too. It was a lot of fun. And uh, now, will you do a song for us? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. This is called Be Honest. Well, her body was an outpost for ideas that didn't work. A nation failed and broken. Invaded and then burnt And the crumbles and the ashes That settle in a purse Were the ruins of an empire And the people we once were We will limping up towards Lake Street 
she motioned towards the church she said the hardest thing they asked me is Amanda does it hurt cause it's not pain it's more like pressure on the edges of my eyes I see scales and bloody feathers when I look into the lights and my password is be honest and my network is evolved and I can't guarantee a pickup every time that you call Ain't it spooky when they all go away? Ain't it strange how they just disappear? Really sucks getting sick on the bus. It's even worse when the teenagers cheer. Ain't it funny how we all get by, but not the way that makes us laugh? The lust burns off into handshakes and hugs, and the end it comes down to the cash. I was calling from the car park when they kicked in the door. They pulled the pistols from the holsters, put the people on the floor. It's not the fear, it's the frustration. Getting sick of being scared. They pulled your princess to her feet and made a handle from her hair. I was thinking about the progress. How a change is gonna come. I was hearing the announcements. I was running from the guns And desperation fueled the dancers Well, that's a sadness in the sex And we lingered over dinner And we ran out on the check And our safe word is still stop it And our style is self-involved and I can't guarantee Pick up every time that you call Ain't it something other people switch partners You just gotta wait your turn It's really hard getting kicked in the heart It's even worse watching big buildings burn Ain't it strange how it all fades to black Just when it starts to feel really nice I was banging around your party Trying to locate all the love and the light Well, the speed had crusted early Then it ran its course So I showered and got ready And I started on my chores It was rushing through my blood It was coming from my pores And my heart was charging forward And I threw up off the porch And we were limping up towards Lake Street She motioned towards the church Said the hardest question ever Is the matter does it hurt? Cause it's not pain, it's more like pressure some ways that's much worse The ruins of an empire And the people we once were If revolution's really coming then we'll all need to be well So maybe it's just best If we both take care of ourselves Let's be honest Forever Dog This has been a Forever Dog production Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm 
For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.